This morning, we are looking at the celebration of communion. And uh, I preached last month in February uh, the first part of the sermon concerning how we can approach the table of the Lord. Today is the second part. And the theme of the sermon is communion, blessing or judgment. At the first part of the sermon, we notice uh, the action of uh, remembrance uh, of what Jesus has done for us, the way that we should uh, approach the table, uh, the meaning of that. is just uh, the elements of the presence of God. It's the physical body of Jesus. We clarify all these elements. Today, with God's help, we'll look at uh, at the portion that Paul addresses in chapter 11 of the first letter to Corinthians from verse 27 to 34. And we will see how communion can be a blessing, but also can attract the judgment of God on our lives if we, we approach it in an unworthy manner. So, please, let's read this passage from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 to 34. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilt concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why men of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Praise God. The problem in the church occurring were many. It's interesting that this church is praised by Paul, because all the gifts that were present in the church, all the gifts of the Spirit were there. But at the same time, Paul is uh, obliged to write this letter, the first letter, to correct some carnalities that were present in the church. So if we look at this epistle, we notice that from chapter 1 to chapter 4, Paul is addressing Divisions among the people on the church. And then from chapter 5 to 7 is looking to sexual immorality that was present in the city. And then in chapter 8 to 10, it was addressing idolatry. And then from chapter 11 to 14, inappropriate behavior when Christians gathered together. Could be to worship the Lord, could be to take and partake the communion. And then the last chapter... Is preparing the church to receive his visits. So if we look at, at this epistle, we understand that differently from Romans, where Paul explained the gospel of salvation, here in this church, Paul addressing the gospel as the guide for the way that we should live in the church. 
And this is strictly related with taking part also at the communion. So today, let's remember that communion is still the proclamation of our new identity in Christ. Every time we celebrate and we approach the table of the Lord, we should remember that we are not the same people that we were before we accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. There should be a change in us. There should be a transformation that comes with the presence of Jesus Christ in us and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why we cannot say that we are the same anymore. And every time we approach the table of the Lord, we are reminded that Christ lives in us. That the Holy Spirit should control and lead our lives. And we are not living for ourselves, but we are living for the one who saved us and redeemed us from our sins. So there is a moment of transformation that happened in our lives. And then let's remember that we are guests of the most noble host. It's not our table. It's the table of the Lord. This is what Paul says in verse 20 of chapter 11. So because we are guests, we should show respect for the person that is hosting us and for his guests. I'm sure that if you are invited in, uh, by someone, there is some kind of etiquette that you should have. You should respect the person that invited to some particular ceremony or something special event that he prepared or she prepared for you. At the same time, you also respect the other people around you. So when we approach the table of the Lord, we should be grateful and behave in a way that we honor our host, Jesus Christ. Because this is his table. You see, Paul is reflecting on how to have the communion. He makes it clear that it is impossible to approach the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What does it mean, approaching the, uh, the tables of the Lord in an unworthy manner? How can we prepare to partake to the Lord's Supper? These are questions I will try to answer during this sermon and I pray that the Holy Spirit will help me to communicate those things. You see, let's start with the first thing. Unworthy participation is a, an offense to the Lord. This we find in verse 27 to 29 that we just finished to read. To participate in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is a, usually broadly associated with the unconfession sin. We think, oh, I should confess my sins. And it's a good way that we approach the table of the Lord confessing our sins. That we come prepared. It's not just a routine. And I stressed that in the last sermon. Let's reflect one moment. Unworthiness refers more to the manner which we approach the Lord's table than our worthiness. No one is righteous enough that can stand in the holiness of God. So no one is worth. We are worth because of Jesus. Because he did it for us. Because what he has done for us on Calvary. So when we come together, it's not just an individual participation to the communion. It's a collective one. We approach the table of the Lord as a body of Christ. As the church and we are this morning a representation of the glorious church that Jesus Christ has redeemed. 
We are the local body of believers here at Fairview Alliance Church. And that's why when we come together, we approach the table together in the presence of God. You see, this past week I brought communion. I shared communion with some of our brothers and sisters that are not able to attend the church because of illness and sickness. We share communion. This is our exception. But communion is celebrated in the body of Christ. Within the church. In a worthy manner. In the manner that we honor God. As we remember what he has done for us. Individually and collectively. So this is very, very important. The Corinthians and worthy observance was something deplorable. Let me explain a little bit at the beginning how communion was celebrated. It was very different from the way that we celebrate it today. People were bringing their own food, and then food was shared, and then there was the commemoration of what Jesus had done for each one of them. But unfortunately, not everybody was rich enough to bring food. So the rich people were bringing a lot of food, and they were enjoying that food by themselves. Instead to share the food with other believers that less, they were partaking the communion by themselves. And most of the time, they were using a lot of wine and they got drunk. Because this was the common way to celebrate holy meals that were dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. That was present in Corinth. So they brought that customary way of celebrating holy meals within the church. And Paul says every time you despise the poor, you are offending the body of Christ. Every time there is no unity among yourself, you are despising what God has done for them. And that's why he has to do more with the unity of the church, the assembling together. Because to sin against those for whom Christ shed his blood and gave his body, it was to sin against Christ himself. And we need to understand that every time we sin against our brothers and sisters, we are not just offending the brother or the sister, but we are offending the one that saved them, the one that Adopt them in the family of God. There is a great responsibility. There is a great way. So the meaning of recognize the body of the Lord may be understood in two reasonable ways. According to different uh, commentaries, our scholars, they say first the body may refer to the church. When Paul says that we are sinners against the body, he could say against the body as a church. Many times the church is identified like body. Then there is another group that is saying, no, technically they are against the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But in either case, the attention is on the church. Because neither we accept that it's the church or we accept that it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ himself. And then we should respect the one for which Jesus Christ died. So the church, the believers. So, for us, to avoid such serious offense, every believer was called to examine himself. You see, there is a, 
an individual examination for a collective participation. So when we approach the table of the Lord, the first Sunday of the month, we should come prepared, examining ourselves, not only in our ways between us and the Lord, but also in the horizontal way. If we believe that this is the body of Christ, the local body of Christ, where God has placed our life so we can be cared for, we should ask these questions. Don't take lightly, but seriously. How I'm conducting myself in the body of Christ. I'm behaving in a way that will uh, lift up my brother and sister. I'm behaving in a way that I'm giving my contribution to the increasing of God's kingdom in this body where God created me and placed me. That's an important question that we should ask ourselves in the moment that we celebrate communion. So if we scrutinize ourselves individually, the purpose is to honor God corporatively, collectively. You see, when we say that we are member of one body, it's more than a statement. It's more than saying, oh, we are members of this church. It's more than that. It's more than intellectual statement of position. It's an active condition that brings action and life in the body of Christ. Because at the moment that you scrutinize yourself and uh, you approach the throne of grace considering your call in the body of Christ, you also should question yourself. I'm a blessing for my brothers. I'm a blessing for my sisters. How, how can I improve my relationship with them in a way that will result for the advancement of the kingdom of God to honor the one that is hosting us? That's why Paul, in the second letter, in that beautiful chapter, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and so forth, says that we are not the same people. All the old man was gone. We are new creation in Christ. But he says something more important, that we are not living anymore for ourselves. But we are living for the one that called us. And so when we are accepting Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, then we should Think and keep this in our consideration. I believe that in this moment that we examine ourselves and the moment that we put our attention on what Jesus has done that day that he died on the cross for our sins, our focus, our eyes should be passionate towards Jesus Christ. And this is what makes the difference. How can I love a person that is completely different from my mindset? How can I love a person that has nothing to do with my daily life, almost? How can I love a person that is speaking not even my language? This is possible because our focus is on our host, Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews says something very important, that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we should look always, always at Him. We should keep our sight on Him. We receive faith as we focus on Jesus. Because if we see Jesus and what He has done for us, we will find love and understanding of the role that we have in the community where He placed them. That's very important. 
So we find transformation. And we understand why Jesus says that the greatest testimony that the church can give it to the world is not the power of performing miracles. Though we believe in miracles. But it's in the power of love. John very clearly says, from this they will know that you are my disciples. From what? From the love that you have for one another. We align ourselves to that vision. We put our, our eyes on Christ. We receive faith. We receive transformation through the power of the word. Through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Through the ability of God to work in us. And we become members of the living body that is the church of Jesus Christ. That's why when a member suffers, all the other one suffers with that. We cannot suffer if we don't have a connection and we become part of the body. If you have a, a part of your body that is paralyzed, there is no life. You can hit that part. There is no life. There is no pain. But if the body is connected and is functional and is vital for the rest of the other members, as soon as you pinch the part of the body, you will react. Because there is life. The neurons are there. And they communicate with the brain. That's the life of Jesus Christ. That's the life of the church. At the moment somebody is here, you communicate with the brain. That is Jesus. You feel the pain of somebody that is not well. You feel the pain of somebody that is emotionally in distress. You feel the pain of somebody that has a financial crisis. You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And that's why when we come together, we should always keep this in mind. That celebration of communion is just a remembrance also what Jesus did for us as a community. As a family of faith. And I give glory to God for this. You see, it's a love process more than anything else. As we search introspectively, we partake the Lord's Supper as a time of celebration in which we as believers focus on Christ and His love for us. And we appreciate very much what He has done. We are like sheep without no shepherd, say Isaiah the prophet. But Jesus became a great shepherd. He brought all us together. From different tribes. From different nationalities. From different walk of life. He brought us together to become his body. So we can be a light in this community. And proclaim the gospel. Through the love that we have one another. Through living a holy life. Through sending out a message. That even 2019, March the 3rd. Is it possible? Is it possible to shine for Christ? To be the church that God indeed it to be? To be the church where love is lived, not because of words, but because of facts. And yesterday, we were celebrating that aspect. And give glory to God for bringing this community of faith and church family as a family that loves and welcomes people despite the walks of life. That's the goodness of God that's the presence of the living God in our midst and I encourage you to appreciate that while you are partaking the elements and then this brings me to another very important point of this passage 
Unworthy participation causes God's discipline. The failure to properly observe the Lord's Supper conveyed judgment on us. Paul wrote that many among the Corinthians believers were weak and sick, and some in the church had died as a result of God's judgment against them because of their sin against the body of Christ. Now, let me clarify something. I want to be very clear on that. To avoid misunderstanding, let me clarify that sickness and death do not always happen because God's judgment on you or me. It's part of life. We live in a fallen world. And we are all destined to die. One day this will happen to me. One day this will happen to you. Unless Jesus Christ is not coming before we died. And then it will be transformed. You see, death comes and sickness comes to believers and unbelievers. And for many different reasons. If I look back here to the life of the disciples, they were the closest one to Jesus, right? You should expect that they lived a wonderful life, no trials, no tribulations, no sickness, and nothing. But as we read the scriptures, we understand that they went through a lot. They were the first one to pay with their life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand that even good people, good believers, are dying, are struggling with sicknesses. Is it because they are evil? No, because it's part of life. And my heart is broken, has been broken to see some people of our congregation recently suffering for different sicknesses. God has a plan above what is our understanding. And one day, this will be completely disclosed to us. So don't think that if you are sick, it's because necessary you are living a sinful life. God has a different plan for each one of us. Because you know what? God is not interested to keep you here on earth. <laughs> He's interested to keep you in heaven. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's our final destination. <laughs> I really don't care how many years I live here. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> For me, it's more important <laughs> there. <laughs> the afterlife. And I will present myself before God. That's what it counts for me. And I hope it also will count for you. You know, if uh, the bread then and wine are reminding us the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary is love for the fallen world, the first question we must ask is, why such a severe judgment on the church? You see, God judges sin by allowing people to suffer its consequences. If you are familiar with the last times or last days, the Bible says that when the Antichrist or the times of his coming and the great tribulation, we will see the removal of the Holy Spirit from the earth. And then the devil will have a full blast. Let me tell you something. Sins are bringing separation from God. And we learn this for personal experience, but overall we learn from our master, Jesus Christ. God made of Jesus sin. It was no sin, but he became sin for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake, 
he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God brought all the sin of the world on Jesus Christ. He bared our sins. Not only us, but the one of the generations before us and the one that will follow us. He became all the quantity of sins. And that moment, the weight of those sins separate God from his own son, Jesus. There was a separation. That's why Jesus himself, in Matthew 27, verse 46, in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a, a loud voice saying, Heli, Heli, Lema, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The burden of sins make feeling Jesus separated from the love of God. And when in the church we are not paying attention to what Jesus has done, we force God to be out of our camp. Remember in Exodus, in other parts of the Bible, God speaks to Moses and says, I cannot come and join in the camp because if I come, you will die. It's because of his love for us that he withdraws his presence in us. I want to give you an example. What holds this battery in my hands is my hand, right? If I remove my hand from the battery, the battery falls down. There is nothing that will support the weight of the battery and the gravity force will bring the battery down. It's the same thing with sin. When the church has sin, when we are approaching the communion table without reflecting on our relationship with God and with our believers, God is forced to remove his presence from us. And the consequence of sin is death. This is what the Bible says. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, we read, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or is here, though, that is cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. God is the source of life. God is the one that can prevent sin in our lives. God is the one that will sustain us. Now let me clarify also something very, very important. It's not intention of God to abandon us. It's not intention of God to let us fall down. But sometimes he needs to discipline us. Why? Because he cares for us. If truly you are a parent, you know that sometimes discipline is very important to your child. Maybe sometimes we don't understand it right away when we are the object of discipline that that was necessary for us. But as an individual, if I look back at the time that I was disciplined from my parents, I didn't accept it so gladly. Oh, hallelujah, I'm disciplined by my parents. But after I understood that I was very, very positive, it formed my character. 
He addressed issues in my life that need to be addressed. And so is God. He addresses issues in our lives that need to be addressed because it's necessary in us. Paul warns the Corinthians that to continue sinning is to invite God's punishment or discipline in their lives. However, here is not talking about eternal damnation. Doesn't mean that you are removed completely from grace. The punishment of God is not to send you out of the family. When you are punishing your son or your daughter, you are not saying, I punish you so you're not part of our family anymore. That's not the intention of God. The intention of God is to allow your reflection so you can turn back and be fellowship with Him. So Paul says that the discipline is not for eternal damnation, but that we should be not condemned with the world. You see the difference? You are mine. You are not like the world that doesn't know me. So if I discipline you, it's because I care for you. It's because I love you. In judgment and discipline are two different words in the Greek language. And it gives us more the understanding of what Paul is saying. With the word judgment, krima, is a legal decision rendered by a judge judicial verdict. The judgment is, you still, then you need to be punished. Then discipline, instead, is the word paideguo, or the verb paideguo. From which we have the, the word pedagogy, comes from that. Instructing. To assist the, in development of a person's ability to make appropriate choices, practice, and discipline. So God is forming us through discipline. And so when we miss that aspect to call, to follow God's commandments and to follow God's directives in our lives, is forced to discipline us. Why? Because he cares for us. Because he loves us. The writer of Hebrews reminds us something very important. Quoting Proverbs chapter 3 verse 11 and 12. He says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 and 7. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as a sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be wary when we reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines... The one he loves. And chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as a sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You see, God loves us. And his discipline is because he cares for us. He want to keep you. He doesn't want to send you off. He's saying, my son, my daughter, I'm disciplining you. And when this is brought in the corporate environment of the church, then we understand that he cares not only for the individual, but he cares also for the church family. And sometimes God disciplines the church. Let's be honest. Sometimes God removes leadership. Sometimes God allow the churches to go through difficult times. If there is persistence in rebuking the, 
discipline of the Lord, then there are different measures of that. What I'm trying to say is that Paul is more interested to recover the holiness of the church than condemn it. Because in verse 31 it says, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So if we truly judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You understand how the emphasis is not in the God that wants to punish us, but it's in the way that we respond ourselves to his love, to what he has done for us. In other words, if the Corinthians took time to evaluate themselves before the Lord's Supper and change, and change their, their actions, God's judgment will never be on that community. And this is something that we should reflect upon. Are we keeping our eyes on Jesus? Are we willing to hear from the Lord when he speaks to us? How God speaks to us through his word, through insight from the Holy Spirit, through the fellowship that we have through other believers, through the circumstances that we are facing. My prayer is that all of us as a community of faith, we will have a sensitive here to hear from the Lord. That we will not resist to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as individual and as congregation. May God give us grace to understand his love for us. Because God's discipline is direct to bring us together in his presence. And that's why we have to really consider seriously the way that we approach the table of the Lord. And then unworthy participation is a sin against Christ's church. You see, the Lord's Supper was set up as a holy commemoration. And when Jesus ate the Last Supper with the disciples, it was a very difficult moment for him. There was a sobriety in that meal. The people were saddened. If you go in the Gospel of John in chapter 14 and, and through chapter 16, you will see that the disciples were really discouraged. And Jesus promised, don't be troubled in your heart. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's encouraging them. In chapter 13, where the mill is starting, something that said in verse 1, that having Jesus loved his own, he loved them, he loved them until the end. So it was a very sober atmosphere when the communion was celebrated. It was the Passover meal to remember the, uh, the deliverance that the people of Israel experienced as they left Egypt, the land of slavery, to the promised land, the land of freedom. There was such a nice atmosphere. And this should be the atmosphere when we celebrate the communion. It's a time where we ponder what God has done for us. It's a time where we should think about Jesus dying on the cross. You see, it was a not the focus on themselves. It was on what Jesus had done. Paul longed for them to turn from this series of sin to celebrate the communion without unity, without a present love, without caring for one another. And I pray that as a congregation, we'll never take the communion lightly, that we can celebrate communion without 
thinking about those things. Because again, we offend Jesus Christ and we offend the church. You see, today we are not celebrating the meal in the way that the Corinthians were doing for obvious reasons. However, we should ask ourselves how we can apply those instructions that Paul gives to us. Let me ask you this question and I challenge myself also. Are you treating the people closer to you in a way that is good for Jesus? And I'm not talking also about the church, but in your family, in your world. Are you a good husband? Are you trying to be your best to honor God as a good wife, a good husband, a good employer, a good worker? Are you doing your best to bless others with the love of Christ? Are you treating others with indifference, with selfishness, with disrespect? If the church would gather for the Lord's Supper in harmony, in mutual submission, because the word of God says to be submitted one another, then you can see that the communion is not a judgment, but it's a blessing. You see, in the plan of God, celebrating communion is not to judge the church, but is to bless the church, is to bless the individual, is to bless the person that approaches the table of the Lord after self-examination. I pray this morning that no one of us will be discouraged to approach the table, but at the same time that we'll learn from the mistakes of the church of Corinth. We want to be able to learn from the Lord. We want to be able to discern the will of the Lord. We want to be able to apply in our lives things that our believers missed so we can be blessed and we can be nourished spiritually of the presence of God. Because if individually we are strong, collectively we'll become strong. The church needs people that are strong in the faith. The church needs people that are committed to serve God no matter what. And serving others in submission to the one that is hosting us. Amen. So let me finish with some final application. Let's find true community with Christ and his church as we partake the Lord's table. You know, every time that we partake at the table of the Lord, we experience a true koinonia. And when we draw near to God in the unity, individually and corporatively, he promises to draw near to us. And the nearness of God is good for us. It's good to be near and close to God. Then the Lord's table is holy table and demands our personal and collective reverence. So while the element will be distributed, let's avoid the distractions. Let's take the time to reflect and ponder what God has done for us. And then, and this is my last but not the least, let's pursue oneness in our one anotherness. Let's be one as to ministry to one another in the Lord. I love what uh, Paul says to the Ephesians and the writer to the Hebrews. One faith, one spirit, one walk with God. Today I will say one Jesus, 
one body, one love, one cup. Let's be together as we approach the table of the Lord. Amen.